Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. No, 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 no. We're not that kind of church. Hello. Can, can you say yo? Can you say yo? See, yo's the thing you say when you walk into Ibn Etzebeth at the spur and you get overwhelmed by his sheer size. Can you say to the person next to you, yo, you're a champion? Yeah, now, yeah, now we sound like we're at church. I don't know what the other thing was, but now we're at church. If you're a visitor, my name is Mark. I have the incredible privilege of being a part of this team, and I'm incredibly proud to be a part of this team. We went to this conference. I got to see mates of mine leading worship. I I got to see Michelle on stage. But I want to tell you about one person who no one saw. There's a lady named Mary Yeager in our church. It's a single lady. She's an HR manager at our airport. And um, she bought a plane ticket. Well, maybe if you work at the airport, you get a deal. I don't know. But she bought an F ticket to go to a conference to work in the children's ministry the whole weekend, not sit in one session. She's still there this morning serving to fly home this afternoon to go work a nine-to-five job tomorrow morning. I don't know what heroes look like to you, but that's what they look like to me. And I'm so grateful to be able to walk with people like that, to serve the King of Kings with people like that. It, It gives me courage. It gives me strength. I didn't see her in any sessions until I looked on the list and I was looking at all the names of the people who were there from our church. Like, where's Mary? And I found out she's there. I thought, oh, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. So just to let you know, I, I, I want to tell you a story. Last week, um, did Gabe behave himself? Or oh, all his fan club? Yes. Oh, we love our ginger, don't it? <laughs> but um, I'm sure he did. He told me he was good. And... Um, and, uh, but I got to preach um, in my hometown, in Durban, at an amazing church called Link Church. And um, Ursula, it's great to see you. And um, welcome back. And, um, and I got to preach. And there's something about going back to your hometown and preaching in your hometown. It's like, you know people there. They know you. They saw you in those days. You know those days. We've all had those days. I know some of you think I was born like this, but I wasn't. And um, my wife made this. And, um, but I was preaching... And, and it was amazing things. Three people made a decision for Jesus in the first service and a whole bunch in the second service. But in the first service, there's one lady who caught my eye and, and she was just weeping and, and she responded to, to Jesus in that moment. And I went in afterwards and I had a word of encouragement for her and I shared that word. She's just weeping and weeping. It was an amazing moment. And then another lady comes around and she tells me her name. And as she says her name, I remember she was one of my senior management directors at the, at the multinational company Unilever that I worked for. And it was such like, a, wow, that's amazing. You were here, you know. Because when I left my company, I got sent to the boss's office, the group CEO of Unilever Africa, Middle East Turkey. He's a Dutch guy. He looks like the Archer's Aquaman. And I walked in. He says, what are you doing? I said, Dada. He says, can we do this? No, 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 I'm going. He says, ah, oh, go get it out your system. We'll see you in two years' time. Exact words. So you kind of go, okay, those words don't leave you instantly. And then this lady says, but do you know who this lady is, who you've been praying for? I said, no, I don't know who she is. Because I knew her first name. And she tells me her surname and then tells me that actually her husband, because it's her first time in church, her husband was one of my directors. Eleven years ago, in a place that I worked really hard to get to, 
and then left because God called me into a story to preach his gospel. And he just gives us little, every one of those salvations is incredible. But that one for me is like God knows. The little things that you say, God, thank you, you're so kind. Just want to let you in. And we had an incredible moment and, and God is incredibly kind. We, we started a little three-week series this week called The Advancing Gospel. There it is. But actually, it's not really a series. It's more about who we are, why we do what we do. It's our vision and it's our mission. And it's up on that wall for some of you who don't remember so well. So you're going to say it with me? See, it wasn't there last week. Who noticed? Some of you are like, no, it was there. I promise you it wasn't. Can you say, reach far? Reach far. Raise, up. Raise up. Release wide. We are going to own this because as we do the gospel, as we look at Jesus, and as we navigate life with Jesus, we believe he calls us to these things, and he calls us into spaces to reach far, to raise up and to release wide. And it's part of a story called the advancing gospel. Because here's what I want to tell you about the gospel. Because we're hearing the stories about church numbers dipping, and we're hearing about churches closing in America, and you're hearing a whole bunch of stuff about church is not the vibe anymore. I'm telling you the gospel of God is never Never retreating. You're never going to plant a church called the retreating church. Join us. Why? Because the gospel never retreats. And the gospel is advancing. Here's the thing. It's advancing in places you don't know because they're undercover. And it's the undercover churches in China. And it's the Middle East under oppression. As God is bringing freedom and life, the gospel is booming. And God says, actually, the gospel always advance. And we aren't of those who retreat. We aren't of those who take a back step. We aren't of those who get negative about economics and politics, even though those facts are real. We are part of a different economy. We are pulled into a different family. My father is the king of kings, and he is above economics, and he is above politics, and he pulls me into his story. He says, will you have my view of the world? So will you have a positive view? Will you be those who speak life? Will you be those who pray for your government? Will you be those who speak life into your world? Why? Because what I've done for you changes everything. And I pull you into my story. And it's an invitation that says there is no neutral gear in the gospel. There is no neutral gear. I love uh, Australians for all sorts of reasons. Other than what they can do with a ball. It's church. But, But one, about 20 years ago, Kim Hughes used to be the captain of the Australian cricket team. And he was asked, Mr. Hughes, who knows what the animals are on the Australian cricket team emblem? And? Yes, a kangaroo and an emu. He said, Mr. Hughes, why is there a kangaroo and an emu on your uh, emblem? He says, well, mate, the kangaroo and the emu are the only animals on the planet that cannot walk backwards. They will never retreat the Australian cricket team will never retreat. That was a really, my other one was much better, but that actually was fun. I want to tell you who the church are. There are those who cannot retreat because we don't worship a king who's on retreat. The only retreat that ever happened, and it wasn't a retreat, it was a sacrifice, was on that cross. So the gospel keeps advancing. And he says, I want you to be a part of it. The gospel is not something you sign up to for someone else to say, go preach a man. Go church, I, 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 and I, I love the fact that people love their church, and it's hashtag, I love my church. But actually, you're not supposed to love your church. You are the church. So love yourself, and allow Jesus to breathe his life upon you, so that as you go, you are partnering in a story. You're not sponsoring someone else's story. 
you are pulled into something called the advancing gospel and you get to do it with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they say, come and partner with us. Be our hands and our feet in this world as we send you out full of passion, full of power. And there's a couple of challenges because you might ask, well, Mark, shouldn't every church have the same mission? I say, well, yes, but its expression can be different. Yes, but its context is different. Yes, but we all get to build different sections of the wall. See, how you plant church and build church in China is different to Tableview, is different to America, and that's okay. And that's the liberality and the freedom we are given in leading church. But the mission still remains, advance the gospel. Make the name of Jesus massive. Do it in our lives. Let it be a more statement in our lives than in our hashtags on Facebook. Christians are making more statements on Facebook about other Christians and about the church than they are just living a life that makes a statement about Him. Let your life be a statement about who He is. And I promise you, I promise you, you'll feel the exhilaration of being pulled into a story that we don't deserve to be a part of, and yet God says, I want you in. I paid the highest price. And vision is important. This is vision for us. And it's important because Proverbs 21 says, where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Who wants heaven's bliss in their soul? I, I want it. I like you a lot, Ish. You can stay. You can stay. You know what my job in church is? It's not to be the Christian guy. You do the stuff. And I love the fact that you encourage me and you're such an encouraging crowd and I love that. But that's not your primary job. See what my job is? My job, I'm just a petrol attendant called to fuel you up for 30 minutes on a Sunday so that for the rest of the week, which is far more than 30 minutes, you have the fuel of his word, the fuel of his love, that you know more about him, you know more about his glory, more about his wonder, and you know more about who you are because of that, and you get pulled into a gospel story. My job is not to drive your car. You call to drive your car. You call to, to engineer. You call to go places I could never get to. And Jesus says, you're part of it. Come in. Stop discounting yourself. Believe that I've pulled you into a story that is glorious. And as we pulled into these stories of reaching far, raising up, and releasing wide, he reminds us that actually it's going to cost some things. You're going to have to give up some, some comforts, some of your smallnesses. You're going to have to give that stuff up, like your hometown, like a place where people know you, like a place where they care what school you went to and what you've achieved in life and the people you know. And you're going to leave that town. Maybe one day you'll come back and maybe you'll sow one seed so one person gets saved and it'll be all worth it. Why? Because we're reminded as we look to Jesus that we give up some things we love to take a hold of the things he loves more. And he pulls us into his story. I want to see part of the series, Reach Far, Raise Up, is reminding us where the trial line is. Who knows what the trial line of church is? It's not great Sundays. Oh, now you're confused. I thought it was. It's not about great meetings. It's about the kingdom of God advancing. It's important we know what the trial line is. I realized that when I was at an under seven rugby game. And some little boy named Bucky's or something, his dad told him, when you get that ball, Bucky's, you're going to run. You're going to run hard, Bucky's, and you're going to give it stick. And Bucky said, yes, dad, yes, dad. And Bucky's got the ball in the rain, in the cold. And Bucky's ran, and he ran until everyone realized he's running the wrong way. <laughs> and he scored his try. Only, fortunately, you can't score an own goal in rugby. But it's really important we know what the trial line is. What's the trial line? It's not Sunday. Sunday's not the trial line. Sunday's part of it. Sunday's important. And what the stats tell us is 85% of believing Christians and those who proclaim Christ gave their life and made a decision to make that decision at church on a Sunday. Sunday's still important, but it's not everything. The trial line is people who are far from God 
being reached by the love of God in places we never thought possible. Why? Because the love of God is not limited by our smallness. And he says to us, will you reach far? Will you raise up? Will you release wide? I want to give you a little insight into what some of that means. We're going to reach far spiritually. What does that mean? I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel to Muslims just because they believe Muslims. I don't respect men and I don't respect foreign gods more than I respect the king of kings. And I want to tell you heaven is real. I want to tell you hell is real. And I want to tell you I love people. And he loves people. And I know that they were made to worship. So whatever religion, whatever background, however much money in their bank account, I will tell them that Jesus loves them. Why? Because if there's anything between the love of God and us, the only thing that can come there and fix that gap is Jesus. His blood and his grace. Mark, that's arrogant. No, it's just real. Because if I'm a believer, then I believe what he says. And if I believe what he says, then seven weeks ago, a man who was sitting in that chair over there, his father's name, Keith Pilkinson, his father wouldn't have gone to heaven. But eight days ago, I did a funeral. Where in those six weeks, Keith Pilkinson had a stroke. He recovered from a stroke. He was doing well. He was about to release from hospital. In that process and time, his son sat with him and said, you need to make a decision for Jesus. And he made a decision for Jesus. And it transformed him instantly. I can't describe all of it now. And then he had another stroke and he passed away. And I got to stand at his funeral in my hometown and preach the gospel to 350 people, many of whom knew and who didn't know the man because that happened in Cape Town. And I got to tell them, Keith Pilkington was a fisherman and all his mates are fishermen. So I said, you know what? I don't like fishing. Folks looked at me. I said, I don't like fishing. I go stand there all day and nothing happens. I said, but you guys, you all love fishing. And you stay there all day and you start casting at six in the morning. And if the bite only takes at six at night, it's made your day. So I want to tell you, God's a fisherman. And he was after your friend for all his years. And he might have only got him at the end of the day, but he got him. Who's got you? Just a little insight to my funeral. <laughs> I want to tell you, God has not called us to go to church. He's called us to be the church. I don't know what your concepts or understanding or, or maybe you, you've grown up in a church where it's all about the man of God. Oh, the man of God. You know why I wear clothes like you do? Because I'm just like you. And I get grumpy with my wife sometimes and she gets grumpy with me. And my kids are possibly the naughtiest kids in the church. That's called real life. Why? Because we are all just God's children on a mission. We just get to play different parts and roles. We're called to be the church. But I want to talk about Reach Far for a few moments now. And in this reach for, there, there's something happened during the FIFA World Cup which stole all the attention from the Soccer World Cup. What was it? Little tired boys stuck in a mountain cave, four kilometers inside the middle of a cave, and the world stopped. I mean, people die every day in our world, guys, kids included. But the world stopped because there was a rescue mission that everyone could participate in. Elon Musk wanted in, and governments were throwing money, and they're sending Navy SEALs, and everyone's jumping in. There was a high price for this rescue. A man died. He gave up his life. He died. An experienced diver died trying to get to the boys. And the world stopped, and they watched. And people are on Facebook. Every Number three's out. Number four's out. Number five out. Oh, we've got to stop. We've got to wait for better conditions. Got to rest. And the next day, come back. Number six is out. Number seven's out. And the whole world stops because it's the greatest rescue mission this world has seen. And I'm telling you, that's a lie because it's not the greatest rescue mission this world's ever seen. This greatest rescue mission the world's ever seen are those who had no way to the Father. Like children at the bottom of a mountain, a kilometer underground and four kilometers in. Kilometers. And divers go through and they pitch up and they come, they, the diver gets through and this little light shines and the kids are sitting in the dark. 
Dava Pavsi is, hi, hello, thank you for coming. We're just kids who need a savior to do something we could never do and never get roads we could never navigate. And I want to tell you, there is a cost, but it's not what it costs. No one said, how much did it cost to get those kids out? Was it worth spending 10 million US dollars getting 12 little kids out? Because what could we have done with 12, 10 million US dollars in an orphanage? No one said that. Why? Because it's not what it costs. It's what it's worth. And what it's worth is 12 little kids and their coach coming out in the world going, there is hope in this world. There is goodness in this world. And I'm telling you, we count the cost too much. I want to tell you, the cost has been paid. Cost has been paid. Jesus paid the price. And I get to participate in his goodness and his worth because of it. The challenge is, surely this is every Sunday's vision. Well, I want to tell you that I believe too much of the church preacher in 316 like this. For God so loved the world. I don't know why I'm rapping. God so loved the world that he gave and they stopped there. And we just start thinking of God as this heavenly genie just giving. And so we come to church and say, God gave me salvation. God, give me life. God, give me a wife. God, give me everything I want. And we keep coming to God, the giver. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to tell you what I've done in your life. I've given you so that you can become like me. You can become a giver. Oh, there goes the preacher. He's preaching about money again. I'm not talking about money, sir. I'm not talking about money, ma'am. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about our T-Rex little lives where they have little arms. They don't want to reach into people because their lives are different to us, because their color of their skin is different to us, because their background is different to us, because their religion is different to us. And God says, I need you to reach far and become like me. And in doing that, you are participating in the glorious gospel, the advancing gospel. God challenges us. He says, I'm going to reach. You're going to reach spiritually far. You're going to reach geographically far. You're going to reach demographically far, all this stuff. And there was a marketing book I was introduced to years ago called Blue Ocean Strategy. Anyone read it? There we go. I knew you would have read it. And um, it's the concept. It's a marketing strategy where these guys sat down and said, everyone is spending all their marketing budgets, billions and billions of rands, trying to reach this segment of people, and they're all fishing in the same pond. It's a little bit like how the trawlers are trawling in our oceans. They all trawl the same spaces. Why? Because in those spaces, the trawlers don't get hit rocks. In those spaces, they don't hit icebergs. In those spaces, they don't break up. So the cost is low. So we're going to try to keep the cost low, but we're going to spend millions and just all fish for the same fish. And I'm telling you, too much of the church are doing the same thing. We're doing church to reach Christians, and that was never the mandate of the church. The church's mandate is to reach those who are out in the blue white waters and they're getting washed around and the sea is big and the church is going, oh, we don't know, we want to go out there. It's a bit messy. It's a bit big. And God says, I am the king who spoke to stormy seas and said, be still. I'll be with you. I spent a year in Cape Town repenting of not loving those far from God. I was your pastor. I ran church all my life. I'd come here to lead a church. I thought I loved the lost. Then I hung around with a man named Wally Gersmeyer, who is totally different to me. And he led me like a baby to show me what it is to love the lost. And my way is different to his. But I trust my heart is the same. Because I realized that God, Jesus, was never scared of mess. He's not scared of your mess. He's not scared of my mess. He's not scared of this world's mess. Why? Because the perfect sacrifice has been paid. There's no more debt. And he pulls us into his story. And he pulls us into his mission. And mission just means to go. To go. Will you go?
And we sent a whole bunch of people. I've just had the privilege of preaching in Wilmington right now. And there are people sitting there. Some of them, they built this building with their finances. 70 people built this building so we can sit here. And the first people to put up their hand to go be a part of a church that meets in a school hall and sets up every week without the comforts of what we have here were the people who built this building. And I said, thank you, God. It puts courage in my soul. Thank you for Mary Yeager sitting, serving kids in Pretoria today. No one knows who she's, how she got there. And I know she paid a price. Thank you, God, that you get all the glory. Because maybe one day one of those kids becomes a businessman who changes the world and creates jobs around the world. Why? Because a lady paid a price. Ladies, you don't need a man to fulfill the call of God upon your life. You need a mandate. And you need to understand you've got that mandate. His name is Jesus. He's more than enough. And if God adds a partner in that story, that's incredible. It's for multiplication of impact. But right now, he's called you to have impact. I want to give you three reasons why you can believe me in this. Because maybe you're thinking he's just excited and he's overtired. And you're probably right. (laughs) But number one, they want him. Jesus. They, They want him. I remember I was came into the corporate world and overwhelmed by the bigness of it and the hard work, hard play reality of it. And it was work hard and long hours and then Friday night comes, Thursday night comes and eventually it was Wednesday night comes and everyone's playing really, really hard. And there's one guy in the mix. His name's Clifton Smithers. Bit of a legend in town in Durban. A bit of a schmoozer, if you know what that means. And... um And he was my mate and I kind of thought, yes, he is far from God. I'm not sure I can reach this guy. So what did I do? Nothing. Just being honest. Why? Because I like people liking me, don't you? Problem is it doesn't come with the territory of my job a lot, sometimes. And God says, now I'm going to get you over that stuff. I'm going to start with a guy named Clifton Smithers. I'm going to show you what it's not when you don't. And Clifton goes on a journey, goes on chaos. Until one day, and I can tell a story because it's been many years now. One day he comes to me. He says, bro, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm like, that's amazing. But, and, I'm, and he says to me, why didn't you tell me? Ah. I go, I don't know. See, I've loved Jesus my whole life. Every Sunday I go worship him. I sat all cross from this young man and thought he's not low-hanging fruit, so I'm going to stay away. And we're basically waiting for someone on the side of the street to wear a sign. I need Jesus. Can anyone help? And I'll be your man, Lord. And God says, no, no, no. I put people in your path. They work in your offices. They're your customers, your clients. And I want you to love them. You know why? Because they were made to worship him. They just don't know it. 2 Corinthians 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They are made to worship him. Romans tells us they were, they groan, all of creation groans to praise him. They were made to worship him. We need to believe the word of God and say, Actually, they're just blinkers on your eyes, sir. And graciously and tenderly and lovingly and sacrificially, I want to live a life that shows to Jesus. And I want to tell you my story about that. And I want you to receive that love. Why? Because he loves you. I love him. So I love you. Even if the world standards, we should have nothing in common. I love you. But you know what it's going to demand? It's going to demand get us getting close. See, my whole job, is church. I arrived in the city. The only people I had friends here, church people. 
And then God said, you need friends. I said, I've got friends. He said, you need friends, you need Jesus. And so my wife and I start trying to open up our world and make space in a diary that doesn't have a lot of space, actually, with three crazy kids and three different schools and a whole bunch of stuff. I'm so glad to see you here, my friend. And it uh, makes my heart very happy. And uh, see, c- proximity creates passion. Come close to Jesus, you become passionate about what he's passionate about. You, you can't stay far from Jesus and then stay close to Jesus and stay far from people. Why? Because he loves people. See, distance creates distortion. And that's what the church thinks we can do. We can hide behind the walls of the church, stay distant from the world, and close to Jesus. And I'm telling you, it creates distortion, it brings chaos. And that's why the church never gets out of base one to impact the world. And we start fishing in each other's ponds. Why? Because it's not what it's cost. It's what it's worth. Point number two, we are under instruction and authority. Matthew 28 says, Then Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, go. All authority given to Jesus. All authority. Oh, I need people's permission to tell them about the gospel. No, you don't. I've been invited to go preach the gospel in Pakistan, where you need a man with an AK-47 to go with you. I'm nervous. Thank you for that. But either I believe the word of God or I don't. That's what it boils down to. Either we believe that God said all authority is given. So when you tell someone about the love of Jesus in a loving manner, not a, you need Jesus, sinner. Please don't do that. I'll probably smack you. When you say, there's a king who loves you. And I, I can show you what he's done. I can just tell you what he wants to do in your life. It's different. We've got to get out of our comfort zones, get out of the harbors. I, I learned that in the room, in the home. And I've told you, you've heard me tell the story. I'm going to tell it again. I learned this in the home, suburbia, Durban. In a suburb, I told you, you wouldn't believe me. In the home of a lady who had a nine-month-old kid upstairs, prostituting herself to sustain their lifestyle while her husband went to work. And I got a desperate call, will you come? As I walked in, my first job was to throw the pimp out. And then start a journey with these people. In the home of a prostitute and a pup. Pup being her husband. Who let her prostitute herself to sustain their lifestyle. It was 10 years ago. That nine-month-old baby is 11 months, 11 years old. Her name is Kaylee. She's got a younger brother. They're worshiping Jesus. That marriage is whole. And never again did that lady prostitute herself. Why? Because Jesus loves them. And if we live T-Rex lives with little arms that won't go into places. I was raised in white suburbia, Durban. I never thought I would be in the home of prostitutes and pimps. Let me just be honest. I just didn't think that. And then God says, I never made you for safe, sanitized, secluded suburban Christianity. I made you for the world. Because I gave a gift for the world and somebody's got to tell them. And I'm telling you, it's not a mandate of a preacher. It's the mandate of every person. Your story here, addiction, well, go and get people saved and tell them your story, how he's taken you out. Your story here, brokenness, and that was your story. Well, don't celebrate it. Celebrate the future he's got for you, but tell people. I want to tell you point number three. It's who God is. This advancing, reaching far, it's who God is. Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Son, are in heaven. I wasn't there, but I'm guessing, as I read the word, 
God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, are perfectly equal in every way, sitting together go, we've got a problem. We created man. So we could have a relationship with them, but sin's entered, and there's no way for them to get to the Father. And so they come up with a plan and say, Jesus, actually, in the economics of what needs to happen here, you need to go. You're going to live a life amongst them. You're going to take in the smallness of a woman's womb. You're going to be taken. You're going to grow like the human human with the limitations of man. And then you're going to die on a cross at the hands of your creation. And then, Spirit of God, you're going to go inside of them. And you're going to live inside of them. And Jesus says, I'm up. Father, your will, not my will, be done. And Spirit of God says, I'm in. I'll, I'll go and show them the Father. I'll go show them the Son. And I'll go into the mess so that we can make a way. It's called the mission of God. And the only thing that's changed is we now become part of the mission of God. We aren't outside spectators with fire insurance from hell one day. We are participators as sons and daughters in our father's story. What a privilege. What a privilege. You see, on earth, I never got to be a part of my father's financial story because when I was 19 years old and had all sorts of plans to take over their farm and do all sorts of stuff, it all got taken away. But then my father in heaven said, I've got a story for you. You're going to be a part of it with me. And lastly, this is right. See, John speaks and John, Jesus speaks in John 20. says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with the, that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is not there for church entertainment or special nights at church. The Holy Spirit was breathed into us to go. And we grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit as we walk further and further away. And we grow and become mature. And the Holy Spirit becomes real to us as we realize we need to rely on Him for power. See, I don't need to rely for the Holy Spirit for power in church. I, I don't need to. I do when I'm out there. And you do when you're sounding business deals and saying, God, I need wisdom. You don't need wisdom in church. Someone will tell you what to do. There's coffee. There's the toilets. Come to church. But you need wisdom out there. You need wisdom to raise children in a world where things are rapidly changing. You need God, the Holy Spirit, in your life. That's a whole nother preacher another day. But bless you. Jesus said, I'm sending you just as the Father sent me. And I want to tell you what it looks like. Because it's not that hard because God goes with us. But Paul the Apostle teaches us, well, how do you do this? Maybe you're saying to us, Mark, I, I, I'm 75 years old and the world changed so much. And you changing the church so much, I feel irrelevant. No, please don't say that. Please buy into the story that you are part of the reaching far. That your numbers are not up. Your day is not up. And we planted Milton and a lady sitting on my right, her name is Diane. And I pointed to her this morning. I said, we planted this church for you. Because she was a recluse living below Gabe and Fee. And Gabe and Fee get planted into Milton. On the day get planted, someone told her there was a church plant in Milton. So she came here, and, and we weren't here. The church wasn't here. Someone put her in the car because she didn't have money in her car to get there, petrol in her car. They drove her to Milton, and every Sunday she gets in her car on that side of town, drives past this venue to Milton because that's her family, and she has a future. She has a life, and she is loved there and cared for there and has a story of God upon her life. And every now and again, she brings people to me and says, Mark, this is my brother. This is my friend. God keeps doing these stories. And I go to Durban to hear about this man from his friend, Eric Hardy, a 
about what God has done in your life. And I know the years have been tough, but I'm telling you, God has a future and a story for you. And it's all in the palm of his hand. He's never lost control. I want to read a scripture that I've been trying to get to. This is the Apostle Paul. He's telling us how to do it. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Anybody want to make themselves a slave? Okay. I don't. (laughs) To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like not one having the law. I'm not sure. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those who have not... Yeah, let me start again. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. To all things, to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. So we're fishing in the wrong pond if all we're looking to is Christians trying to get them into church. God's called us to reach far. He says to Peter, hey, Peter, come, I want you to do something with you. And Peter's like, nah. He says, throw your net on the other side. And we can preach the scripture a million ways. And Jesus just, Peter just takes his net from one side, throws it on the other side, and there is life and life abundant. And I'm telling you, God is speaking to his church again. He's saying, throw your net on the other side. Open your eyes to what lies on the other side. If you would trust me, the fisher of all men. And I want to say in a couple of things, in our mission and our vision, I want you to know who we are and what we're on about. Number one, we are not competing with a single church in the city. Ah, there's not. I am a competitive individual. I played rugby competitively. Some of you are like, nah, I'm never a water boy. And um, I, I, I work competitively. But the more I get to Jesus, I realize it's not a competitive thing. I want to tell you, when, when, when View Church planted the site in Tigerberg Hills, we were the only church. We, we called them up. We took their whole leadership team out for breakfast to celebrate their plants. And then a lady I love dearly in the life of the church came to me and said, I think God might be moving me to go be a part of that church. I said, that's a great church. Why? Because I love every planting of the Lord. I don't care about brands. I don't care about the life changes brand. Honestly, I don't. I'm not going to take it to heaven with me and neither will you. We just go with Jesus. But God says, actually, I want you to love your city. I want you to serve your city. I want you to understand that actually it's not about your comforts and not about your preferences. Uh, And actually all of those things bow their knee to the mission of God. And you will share in its blessings. That's what the scripture tells us. I become weak to the weak. Who does that in a world where everyone's trying to make themselves stronger? Become weak to the weak. No, because we get to share in the blessings. So we defer to our brothers and we love people. And we reach in. And we understand that actually it's not about our preferences. I like this and I don't like this and I do like this. I'm going, I don't care what you like. If it's working to reach people, I'm going to keep doing it. Please don't ask me ever to say, yo, at church again. I can't promise. And I also want to say another thing. Sunday is important. If 85% of people worshiping Jesus gave their life on a Sunday, we need to keep doing Sunday well. But it's not the pinnacle and it's not the everything. It's just a moment we gather to release the army who bring him praise. Our last thing I want to tell you 
As you've heard me make the statement, you're going, why does he say that? I make the statement when someone gives their life, don't, no cricket claps. You know that cricket clap. Good shot, chap. Good shot, old chap. They don't mean it. They're just doing because they have to. When someone gives their life in this church, I want us to be the loudest, most raucous people who celebrate from deep down inside because we know and we believe what the Bible says that he who was dead has come alive. And when we see someone give their life to Jesus, it is a dead person coming to life in Christ. It doesn't deserve a cricket clap. God challenges us and he reminds us that just like the father in Luke 15, and just like a son at his father's funeral can celebrate a life because he knows he'll have eternity with his father, God's calling us to believe what the word says and to live a life that shows that. And Jesus comes to us, as I preached a couple of weeks ago, Jesus leaves the crowds of adoring fans who to me might just have been the church. And he goes to the other side of the lake, of the sea, 13 kilometers in a storm for one guy, a demoniac, kicked out by his own people, cut himself. No one wanted him. He was dirty and smelly. And he takes his crew, he takes his disciples, says, guys, I need you to get this. We'll leave the crowds and reach far for one guy to get saved. Then we'll just get back in the boat and we'll go back. We have to have an ability to leave this and get out there with the bigness of the gospel, the advancing gospel, and the confidence of the love of God in our lives to reach Reach far affects what we do and why we do it. Reach far changes our value systems. It's not what it costs, it's what it's worth. Reach far affects our methods. Reach far allows us to see Jesus' possibilities. Reach far means we'll reach the ends of the earth. As Mary Yiga sits in white suburbia, Pretoria, serving the kids of Afrikaners. Maybe that doesn't mean much to you. It means a lot to me. So the kingdom of God is advancing. Because of that young lady not waiting for a moment. Taking a gaff and saying, I'm going to serve the kingdom of God. If that's where it is right now, then that's what it is. But I promise you, watch that life. Watch that life. You'll share in the Father's joy as every son and daughter comes home.